Hey there, sports fans, and welcome back for the first time. It's Gabriella Cohen, lovely, lovely human, very interesting little character, a bit of a kook, smart, sassy, just doing her own thing. And here we are chatting. She's having a whole life now ahead of her. Sorry, she's uh, wanting to get into podcasts, and this is her second ever podcast. So how exciting to to be here with uh, Gabriella Cohen. How many times can I say Gabriella Cohen? Gabriella Cohen, tell us in this segment called Hit Different, where you like to ask people like Courtney Barnett and Haley Mary and Archie Roach, music that hit different from them over the course of their life. What's the first thing you remember hearing as a kid that really just made you think, wow, this music thing, it's going it, to, it, perhaps it's my thing? The earliest memory I had, I was lying on the carpet listening to a cassette and it was playing I Will by the Beatles. That melody. How, how does that go? I don't, I don't know how that goes. How long I loved you. Mm, da, 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 da. Will I wait alone? It's just got the most beautiful melody. I know that. That's great. It's a gorgeous song. Gorgeous is the word. It still haunts me, that melody. Where, where was this? Oh, that was Crystal Waters, where I'm from. It's like a little permaculture village, Sunshine Coast Hinterland, Queensland. And then maybe a few years later, what hit me possibly harder was Perfect Day by. Velvet Underground. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, good God. It felt like a knife to my chest, and I was like, I'm never going to do heroin. <laughs> so, and I and I kind of like willed for heartbreak to the gods. You know, I was like, I need some heartbreak in my life, and I got it. <laughs> <laughs> you did a Velvet Underground concert last year. Yes? Yeah, we did a tribute. Lou Reed Transformer. Yeah. yeah. I was there. It was excellent. Which song did you sing? I sung um, a song that was not off that record. It was, um, I sung I Found a Reason. The song Perfect Day, by the way, is, I was a Velvet Underground fan. It sounds very Alan Partridge. What's my favorite Velvet Underground album? It would be the best of Velvet Underground. Seriously, I, I grew up in the best of Velvet Underground from the age of about 16 when I bought it, Missing Link in the city. Loved it. But a lot of people heard the song Perfect Day on the Train Spotting soundtrack. Uh, yeah. And that, yeah, it's used so wonderfully in, in that in that film. That's that's I'm I'm forever associated with, with that film and, and also with the feeling that heroin must be quite Moorish. Mm. It does sound it does sound quite uh, enticing. Mm. Gabriella, when you were hearing the Beatles and Velvet Underground, were there instruments around? Yeah, I grew up with a lot of instruments around. I mostly um played percussion and drums until about 15 and then I picked up the guitar and that song was um I found a reason from loaded and it's beautiful and cat power does a really nice rend- rendition of it would you play drums and sing or did that kind of co- come with the guitar no I, I mean I, I was banging away on a djembe <laughs> mostly <laughs> I was part of like lots of drumming circles um but yeah, the, the singing came with the guitar. Tell us about the drumming circles experience, because I think that builds patience in a person. Yeah, totally. It was kind of amazing. Um, there was there's this real famous drummer from Ghana called Epizo, and he would do like world tours, and he would come to Crystal Waters, and people would pay like top dollar to join his drumming circle. And I don't know how, but I managed to like get myself in for free. I was like <laughs> ten, even seven or eight. Just rolling and, in with your djembe, just yeah. like as nearly as tall as you. And I would be his his like guest, and he would give me solos in the show, and like, what? Yeah, I was his special guest. It's it's great. Yeah, that was that was amazing. So you were like, I, I'm into this. Me playing music, people looking at me, 
I want to continue this. More so the fact that when you have a group in sync playing percussion, mm. it's like, it's incredible. Yeah. Mm. I know with choirs, they say heartbeats sync up. Really? I'm whether this, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering whether the same thing happens with drumming circles, whether that has the same kind of effect. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Fun facts. There's a person that uh, in Melbourne who runs a lot of choirs who constantly spouts that fact. So mm. I hope they're telling the truth. I believe they are. I, I, meant, I mentioned it to my brother who's in a lot of choirs. He goes, I've heard that so many times. I'm like, okay, must be true then. That's good. <laughs> what choir is your uh, brother in? Oh, he's in so many. I couldn't even. Oh, yeah, cool. He's okay. Always, he's, he's searching. He's a bit of a searcher. Maybe you should put me in touch because I want to get in touch with more choirs. You can't sing that well. Okay. Um, okay. So so that would have got you through any kind of stage fright as well. Yeah. I mean, I had a little like Casio keyboard from around that age and I was also like performing in, in the lounge room, you know, like classic story, chucking tantrums mm-hmm. when no one was listening. So yeah, I've been pretty used to it. And I used to do mm-hmm. a lot of stand-up comedy. Okay. That explains <laughs> heaps. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> when did you do stand-up? Um, from like seven, my dad and I would co-write scripts or more so he would give me scripts teasing his friends that I would deliver at like all our Christmas parties you know I would be impersonating his friends and people left you know they walked out (laughs) people laughed people People wet themselves they actually did (laughs) but they also left because um, it was humiliating like the stuff the stuff that my dad you were roasting them (laughs) yeah yeah. What the fuck were you saying? <laughs> Just like, you know, impersonations cut deep. They really do. Mm. Especially from a seven-year-old. Yeah. Because kids can, kids can see you like no one else can. Yes. Yeah. Totally. They really can. So, is, there must be footage of all this stuff. I don't think there is. But I, I have the script still. So, what was the... So, if you got into comedy writing and, and being a comedian, was, was there a point where you're like... I'm going to do this in front of people. I'm going to I'm going to perform this, or is it just like every Christmas you get fired up to roast the, <laughs> the extended family? Well, pretty much. Um, but I, I had like a I had a hot break for like ten years when I thought I was too cool to do comedy, and then only this last Christmas, my dad was like, "Come on, Gabriella, like you were good at it. Let, let's do it again." So it was like our ten year reunion, and um, wow, so, so you got re- the band back together. <laughs> I'd really love to start, um, my plan when I moved to Melbourne earlier this year was to start having a go at like stand-up comedy nights, maybe in disguise. But yeah, I feel like it's good. It's character building. Oh, big time. Yeah. Does it work its way into your gigs between songs? Yeah. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm like on, yeah, it does. But if I'm off, it's very off. I've heard you do some great stuff. You know, some, <laughs> some good bands. Because when she's delivering banter as well, Marcus, Quite often, Gabriella will, like a pink flamingo, will just put one leg right up, like tuck it right up, and be standing on one leg as she's talking to the crowd Special and singing. Trick. I'm like, how is that possible? What is going on there, lady? Yeah, I think it's what pink flamingos do. Oh, this is cool. Um, R.O.P. Norm McDonald as well. He's a great comedian that passed away this morning, unfortunately, uh, age 61. You know, we all know Noel, Norm's work. So, yeah, it's worth mentioning that. Uh, okay, I'm so curious about the stand-up stuff. I can give you some Good people. I can put you in touch with good people who, who run rooms, by the way. So, let's Great. do that. Off air. <laughs> so, in your teenage years, you know, you've come out of the, the sort of the uh, child star, 10-year-old. <laughs> you, you've, come out, you've come out of the Dejembe uh, Velvet Underground comedy scene. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Rolls, 
<laughs> what's next from there? And, and after you pick up a guitar as well, I suppose. So usually when someone picks up a guitar, the way to especially start learning is you start trying to play some of your favorite songs. Like what were those things that, and you learn chord shapes and that begets other songs. And then you start writing your own songs. What was the, some of the stuff that was really fueling that? Sublime. Definitely. Sublime was huge. That is almost that nexus between Jen and Velvet Underground. It totally is. Comedy. Yeah. Sell Out with Me Too Day. What's the song they had? Sell Out. They had Date Race. Santeria. Wait, wait. Start with Santeria. Okay, Santeria. Go, go. Yeah. I mean, Canon. (laughs) Sublime. You don't like Sublime? I enjoyed Sublime back in the day. I'd like to hear you sing some, please. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was Sublime and then a bit of Ani DeFranco. Mm. She, yeah, a lot of her and uh, Lauren Hill, lots of Lauren Hill and the Fugees, Franz Ferdinand. The strokes oh, yeah, were yeah. huge. Like, it was madness when I first listened to the, when they came out. It was, you know what it was like. It was, totally. can't even describe what? it. Yeah, why was it so powerful? You know, why was it? Because it was it's just because they were so fucking cool. Not just that, but it's because the music, like every single song yeah. was the greatest song you'd ever heard. And the arrangements, it's almost like they were classical. It was so beautifully intense and every single note. Do you ever, have you seen The Strokes live? Yeah. Yeah. I um I was a guest of The Strokes, actually. That's my claim to fame at Splendor, Splendor in the Grass. And I was I was waiting to see them, and I was at the very front of the amphitheater waiting for the avalanches to finish. And I was like, who the hell are these guys? I was having a terrible <laughs> time. And I was claustrophobic, maybe ha- had a joint, and then I'd fainted. And as I was fainting, I was like, no, no, no. Because, like, you know, making your way to the, to the top of the amphitheater, I mean, like to the, to the barricades, that's a, that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. And that's like Sherpa. Yeah, so, but anyway, I was, I was like, pulled over the fence. I was like, that girl. And they took me away. But as they were taking me away, I could hear the strokes starting up. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, I'm fine. I ripped myself away. And I actually ran into my booking agent at the time. And he, I was like, you have to take me to see the strokes. And he got me backstage. And, yeah, I was, like, half conscious, like, <laughs> listening to Someday. It was great. How long ago was it? 2016. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I went, I went to the one before. Okay, yeah. so the, one, the one before, which was like 2010. Yeah, I also saw that. Julian, Ca- that was amazing. Yeah. Julian Casablancas came on and he went, whoa, flow in the mo, no pressure. And I was like, huh? He's like, Florence in the, ma- sorry, Florence in the machine, no pressure. Because everyone was like just completely startled by what they'd seen was Florence in yeah. the machine. And then they came out and did, um, yeah. and then off they went and like, you know, they just had us all straight away. That was at Woodford, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go back to Lauren Hill. How did she get your attention and the Fujis? I had two big sisters and they were like six to eight years older than me. So they would just be like blasting miseducation and also, yeah, miseducation, Fujis and a lot of Ben Harper. Now that I remember so much Ben Harper. My dad was always like, oh, he sounds like he's had a bad childhood. That was like his, his <laughs> joke of the year of the last 10 years. He's, he's roasting Ben Harper. You're, you're, you're out there traumatizing his friends. <laughs> I guess I just followed in my sister's musical tastes. And they had good taste. And Lauren Hill was great. That's a great record. Mm. Did your sisters play music as well? Yeah, they, they play and write. 
my middle sister Sarah was the front woman for Rapscallion. They toured for like 10 years, like a gypsy kind of band. I remember putting them in the Herald Sun a bunch of times. Did you? Yep. Yep. Oh. Just like in the gig, in the gig listings. Yeah. Like, yep. They're playing the corner again. Great. You know. So it felt, it felt like a pretty obvious thing or obvious path to, to follow that. Well, yeah, you just, you get into what you love to do and then you do it and you play shows like all these people around me are doing it and. It's it's just what life is like. Was that kind of the feeling as you kind of began to enter the music industry? Yeah, totally. We our, All our debuts were at this little, um, it was called the Upfront Club in the town closest to the village. It was an open mic night on Monday and the town used to go off like that Monday nights. It was, it was everything. So that was where we all started. Did you ever sort of headline the open mic? How, how did it come about that it was like when you were sort of like going above and beyond and sort of. You know, breaking through. Yeah, you headlined, and if you were, if they liked you enough, they'd give you like a meal. Was it you won like thirty <laughs> bucks and a meal or something? No, but it was great. The the support from that community was everything. Tell me, right, um, and and Marcus, when an artist is hungry and you know just like absolutely just bursting for success and just like wants it so bad, like something like a meal and thirty bucks means so much. It means the fucking world. Tell us about that that feeling. Uh, and having trying to replicate that feeling later on in your life when you sort of have it a bit better and perhaps you know you're middle class and <laughs> you know your life is is a bit easier i'm always wondering how artists can go back to having that same kind of um hunger to write and make amazing music i don't know if they can i don't know it's harder to write when you're when you have everything or maybe you have to really be disciplined and and go on to new ventures and do more collaborations or yeah i'm not sure although in the in the past couple of years i've had like a, a tiny bit of success and i became really complacent for a while i was like my sister was like what are you doing you're resting on your laurels like go out and like <laughs> and i was like good god i am i'm just like being really comfy it depends what your definition of success is right like and what level of recognition what recognition means to you like maybe getting 30 bucks in a meal is enough recognition to give you that the butterflies in your stomach after you, you play a show or whatever. Or if you become like Kid Leroy or something like that, then it's like, well, I headlined the VMAs this year. So if I don't headline them next year, then I'm, I'm going backwards, which is obviously absurd. And then to bring back the Jack Ladder sort of thing, it's like, it feels like his, his, the recognition he's chasing is to burn down some of the parts that he's building and then to build them back up anew in some kind of like new vision that he has or some new expression that he's looking for. So you, your definition of success constantly changes, I would assume. Yeah. No matter how big or small you are. And success is almost uh, like true artistic success is almost just being comfortable with whatever you're setting out to achieve originally. And it doesn't really matter what the industry or who around you, you know, what little bows and medals they hang on that. It's It has to come back to you and what you're in it for and what you're doing it for. Yeah, and I feel like an artist is always happier when they're like, you know, consistently working hard at their craft. That brings you so much happiness. And it, it becomes a chore more and more, but like once you get through it and get little pearls, it's like, yeah. 
we're happy when we're like in a little routine working, I reckon. Mm. One of the things you mentioned in that Maple Glider uh, interview that you did with Happy is that when you get in the studio, it's like, oh my God, why don't we do this all the time? Mm. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. I Studios for me are like Christmas and I'm rarely in them. You know, lockdown doesn't help, but I think it's because I, in the past, have always set myself up as like a DIY bedroom recording artist. But yeah, I just want to live in studios. It's the best. You mentioned Kate Bush in the past too. Is it still somebody who you sort of look to and go, wow, I need some more of that Kate Bush sound or style or, or attitude? No, I probably haven't listened to her or looked at her since our interview with you. <laughs> right on. But Aldous Harding <laughs> is the next best thing. Oh, I completely agree. I can tell you, if you've, ever, if you've ever interviewed Aldous Harding, she looks through your soul. She like, yeah. She's one of the most unnerving people to be around. I love Aldous. I love everything she does. Yeah. It's so full on. I've had the friends who are just like almost <laughs> just in shock for the next yeah. day. It's just like she'll throw the question back at you and then she'll throw the question at herself and you'll see her whole psyche crumble in front of you and then she'll build herself up again and then she'll say something arch and wow i had quick eldest harding story i can't mention any names here but someone was like introduced to her and it's like oh, and uh said, i'm a big fan and she just went that jacket makes you look desperate <laughs> That was her opening line to this person. This person just ashen-faced, ruined their whole festival. So, yeah, Aldis is uh, – she's nothing but truth 24-7, <laughs> I think it's fair to say. She's yeah. also a savage rapper, um, which Marlon Williams told me because obviously they used to date. He's like, you don't know this about Aldis, but she's actually a filthy rapper. I'm like, Amazing. what? And I mentioned to her, she's like, make sure that's never in any <laughs> interview. So here we are. Talking about success as well, so you've supported Devendra Banhart, you know, you've done some pretty cool things. What has been the moment for you that if, you, if you're looking at right now, the first thing that comes to mind where you're like, that was the moment I was killing it the most as Gabriella Cohen so far? Saying now is okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hitting Lafroy, the sun's coming through the wall, talking to some journos. I, I guess it. Made it. I felt really like super in my element when I was I was recording early this year for this record. It just felt like totally right and I just belong in studios. But then I also feel like that when I'm touring, it's just like I'm where I'm meant to be and it's it's like I feel like I'm on fire. It's the best. So I feel like with each progression, it just gets better and better. Um, you must be champing at the bit to tour again. Yeah, but – well, yeah – I mean, to be honest, I'd rather just be making music in studios. Mm -hmm. I don't really care about touring right now because it's not going to happen anytime soon. And frankly, mm -hmm. you don't make money or much mm -hmm. money. So mm -hmm. I'm not too fussed about that. Mm -hmm. Keep producing. Yeah. Do you ha have, have you had your music? Like, I can see your music ending up on a, uh, like a 500 days of summer kind of moment. The temper trap had was sweet disposition. Have you got people working around the clock for you to try and get your music synced to, to, to sort of ads and to movies, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I goddamn hope so. Um, I just signed a publishing deal with Ditto, Ooh. so I think we're going to do some really good things together. Um, Great. Yeah. More scoops. Yeah. Okay, that's scoops. excellent. And, and is there anything in particular that they've got their, that they're sort of offering you at the moment, or is that? It's like a brand new relationship, so I think we're still figuring it out, but. I would really like to compose for cinema and um, TV and all that stuff. Mm. So you're 
your stand-up special on Netflix. We're thinking 2030, where you <laughs> compose it, you direct it, you you act in it as well. Yeah. And yeah, the whole thing, it's all you. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I would really like that. It sounds great. <laughs> What's a, a recent thing? We'll, we'll do another sort of five to ten minutes. What's recent music that, that's really uh, changed you and changed your, the outlook of your day? Um, I've been listening to this really brilliant artist or two artists. They're called um, Casey and Clayton. Yes. Yeah. And there's a song in particular, if you ask how I'm keeping, and it it's incredible. So I've been listening to them and also something that's kind of changed – my outlook on music is Natalie Bergman. Have you heard of her? Ooh, she's no. brilliant. She's on um, Third Man Records and she just released a record called Mercy and it's like fucking amazing. It's How, How'd you get onto her? Uh, because I have a semi-famous friend who used to date her. Okay. Yeah. Casey and Clay, just quickly, uh, Casey and Clay, we just mentioned Marlon Williams. Mm. They did something together. Casey and Clay and Mar- Marlon Williams' Plastic Bouquet. Oh, are they are they local? No, um, but they work, the Canadian folk, folk duo partners with the New Zealand singer-songwriter. So they did a record oh. together that came out earlier this year. Which oh. I, think is worth I, know that, I know they did a tour as well. So Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's all rap. It's just all hip hop. The whole thing. It's <laughs> no, it's not. Who <laughs> no, no, no. And this girl called um Ashy. I think I'm pronouncing it right. A s a s h e. She's um she's brilliant. She's like she's like a pop. I'm really into pop. All I listen mm. to is pop, kind of at the moment. Seven seven million monthly listeners. Yeah, this, this girl here. I'm just that girl there. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, brilliant. Sick. Where's she from? She's from America. She's part of like the Billie Eilish, Phineas World. I think they have like yep. similar management, but really clever pop writing, um, good aesthetics. Yeah. Is this stuff that was, that was swimming around before your new record that is about to come out or is this, is this post? This is post. So was it, what, was, what was kind of kicking off when you were pulling the songs together for the new record for you? Um, I don't I. I don't know. I feel like I'm just kind of like a sponge. It's whatever it's in the ether. I just sponge it up. Mm. Um, but I feel like, I don't know, maybe an album like Graceland is mm. an aesthetic I would like reference, maybe even subconsciously because it's just so colorful and there's lots of bits and mm. voices and cool percussion and lots of variety. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Not that I'm comparing my record to Graceland. We'll do that. (laughs) Allow us to do that. Yeah. That's uh, at the annual thing down at Tarragon with my family. Just the day after Christmas was always better than Christmas. Our whole family would dance to a a new album each year. And Graceland was so good that two years running, that was the album that we just put on. (laughs) And we would have played it like six times in a row. And the whole like cousins and uncles and aunties and eating like reheated potato and having a cheeky like... I don't know, spumanti or something when we were like 14, 15 and ah, oh, just the whole experience was just, yeah. Yeah, that like, album goes off. It's just like every single on, time. four to the floor. Every single time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's a whole other discussion there about working with, um, <laughs> about apartheid and South Africa and sanctions, which we won't get into. Um, okay, guys, again, I love asking this last question. What is your favorite song in the world today? We all get to answer this. Favorite song in the world today. Yeah. You go first, Marcus. Needs, needs, needs a jiggle. The song Country by the local band Good Morning. 
puts me in a really good mood every time I hear it. And it kind of gives me, uh, I don't know, it's one of those beautiful, sweet songs that you can dance to, but there's also, there's a bit of heartache to it. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, they're brilliant, it's- that band. I really like them. They're, they're kind of getting ignored here, but overseas, like ASAP Rocky sampled them. Tyler the Creators, ASAP Rocky you know, sampled them. Big up, yep. Tyler Creators big up them a few times on socials. Whoa, they're gonna have a they're gonna have a moment with this record. You can you can tell. Oh, um, I'm writing incredible. a story about it for NME. I'm interviewing them on Friday. Oh, brilliant. Good. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully interviewing Gabriella Cohen down the track if we can get it over the line with Karen Gui, my wonderful editor. Um, I was just going to say, I uh, God, that sounded awful, didn't it? Yeah. Let them <laughs> hang out. Yeah. Now, Karen's a hard ass. She's awesome. I love her. Superhero by Faith and More. There's a new remix of uh, of that song by Bataglia. Yeah. Bataglia remix, Alexander Hack. It sounds like something from Disco Volante. Any Mr. Bungle fans out there will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just this really kind of odd, percussive kind of ubermensch <laughs> moment of talking about this superhero and um, kind of taking the piss out of that whole concept, but done through this Faith and More prism, which is really cool. Mm. I've played it three times today, and my friend Chris O'Neill just messaged me saying he likes the disco volante stuff. Uh, so, yeah, that's mine. What about yours all-time favorite song today, Gabriella? Today, um, it's an artist from New York. His name is Sam Evian. I think I'm pronouncing it Evian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, E-V-I-A-N. It's a song called Easy to Love. And it's brilliant. He He's like a, I don't know, I feel like they're saying like move over Kevin Parker, this guy's, oh. and he's, his production is, yeah, is, is next level. And yeah, I feel it's good. It's just good music. So I can't cool. recommend it enough. Easy to love. Yeah. Okay, cool. I love it. I love a, a brash opening. Like, all right. You know, once the bus goes over 50 kilometers an hour, 50 miles an hour, stay on or get off. You got to stay on, so yeah. Love <laughs> outdated cultural references, with Mikey Carl. Friends, we have come to the end of this episode, the bonus episode with Gabriella Cohen and Marcus Teague. Thank you so much for joining us and just you know giving us a bit of your heart and telling us about your stand-up roots and uh, all kinds of interesting stories about your life. Really, really appreciate. Thank it. you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great. Sick and Blue No More is coming out all the way in January. This is like the the earliest interview you'll ever <laughs> yeah, do. I know. <laughs> yeah, January the twenty first. She, she Gabriella did message me yesterday saying, "Should we wait for the album?" <laughs> like, no, no, we do it now. There's good energy around you. Frangelico Dreams has just come out, yeah. so get around her. Uh, we hope to see you play live at some stage and tower over us and give us the uh, the zingers in between the songs. But yeah, more than anything, good luck, go well, and yeah, stay you. Good luck for the uh, Christmas roast, the oh, family Christmas roast. Thank you very roast. much. <laughs> Lovely to meet you, Marcus. <laughs> All right. See you, listeners. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.